Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, my relationship with them is incredible. D-Wade, he's a brother of mine. He supports everything that we do. You know, we call him, you know, Wade County, Day County, like, because he really represents hometown. And we love that about him. LeBron James, another brother that just, him and his whole team, Maverick and Rich Paul, and just the whole LeBron family have always showed me love. And I was blessed to do, like, commercials with LeBron and, We've done other, a lot of great things outside of basketball. Anytime I seen Chris Bosch out there, another brother that just with pure love and always showed me love and he's a legend, man. We had a, we had a squad that was unstoppable. The squad DJ Khaled was so proud of, they did seem unstoppable. Even after a game LeBron James was forced out of because of the 95 degree temperature inside San Antonio's arena, Miami just went on to win game two and we're right back in the same position as they were the previous season. Welcome back to Four Years of Heat. This is episode eight, the finale. As the Heat and Spurs prepared for game three in Miami, there wasn't a lot that differentiated the 2014 finals from the 2013 version. The Spurs started the series with home court advantage, which was different, but by the time they'd reached Miami for game three, they'd lost that. And there's no way the insertion of Boris Diaw into the starting lineup ahead of Thiago Splitter would make that much of a difference for the Spurs. Even an older team like Miami can get the necessary boost from their now seasoned home fans to carry them through. Plus, the allure of a three-peat, an accomplishment that hadn't been executed since Kobe and Shaq's Lakers from 2000 to 2002, 
would provide just the necessary motivation, given how close Miami was to finishing the job. Welcome to Miami, game three of the NBA Finals. Let's go Heat! Well, those thoughts lasted for about the next 12 minutes of basketball once the series returned to the Heat's house. This is where the nice guy Spurs would hand out one of the most sobering defeats of this Heat era, a different kind of stunning than the Mavs in 2011. The first quarter alone told the story of this series. In it, the Spurs shot 87%. I'll say that again. The Spurs shot 87% in the first quarter of an NBA Finals game. They missed two of their 15 shots. They missed none of their three-pointers. The Spurs assisted on nine of their 13 baskets in the period, and for good measure on the defensive end, blocked two heat shots and grabbed two steals. Mills, he'll penetrate. Bounce pass, left corner, Leonard. Great ball movement by the Spurs. Kawhi Leonard loads up and knocks down a three. 38-23, Spurs by 15. Yep. Great execution. Great execution. This is a Spurs team that is running their offense to perfection. On the Heat side, LeBron James nearly matched the Spurs' brilliance in that opening quarter. He missed one of his six attempts, scoring 14 points with an assist and no turnovers. The rest of the Heat weren't terrible either. Miami shot 53% for the period and somehow found themselves trailing by 16 after just 12 minutes of play. There was barely a drop-off in the second quarter for San Antonio. The Spurs shot an NBA Finals record for a half of nearly 76% and led at halftime 71-50. to The Diaw addition to the starting lineup made San Antonio's ball movement as crisp as it had been all season, and at just the perfect time. They were exercising demons in the most enjoyable way possible. Leonard finishes strong with a right hand. The Heat closed to within seven points in the third quarter and within 10 in the fourth. But the Spurs always responded with devastating shots and extended runs. In the end, the Spurs won game three by 19 points, taking back the home court edge and snatching back the mental advantage. It has just been one of the great offensive starts in NBA playoff history. Spurs with a huge response here in game three and now lead the 2014 NBA Finals two games to one with a resounding road win here in Miami. Greg Popovich summed up his team's near-perfect performance in the post-game press conference. I don't think we'll ever shoot 76% in a half ever again. It's the NBA Finals. Uh, you can't just be mediocre out there if you want to win a game. Everybody's got to play well. But even that performance wasn't enough to fully convince Boris Diaw that the Spurs had taken control of the series. We felt that we played great, but we know what it is and we know the playoffs. It's not because game three, we're shooting 75 and everything goes well. That game four is going to be the same because we saw it the series before. Sometimes you win by 20 and the next game you lose by 20. So um, you still got to you know, stay focused. Diaz's teammate, Matt Bonner, would play sparingly in this series, but he was just as engaged as any of his teammates, who all still felt the pain of losing those last two games in American Airlines Arena a year earlier. We got home court advantage back. And I don't want to say we were satisfied with that, but, you know, if we went back to to San Antonio 2-2 two to two with home court advantage, we would have been, we're like, all right, we did, we did what we came here to do. 
And I remember Coach Pop read that on us and brought everybody in and was in our faces like, we didn't come here to get one. We came here to get two wins. You know, so wipe the smiles off your faces and let's be ready to play game four. And then we came out, that game four is really the game where we we ripped our hearts out. The Spurs had taken the hearts of the Heat and not even the white hot home crowd could revive them. San Antonio shot 57% in game four, a small drop off from the 59 in game three, and won even more comfortably by 21 points. Green finds splitter, beautiful feed to Diaw on the finish. Move it, move it, move it. San Antonio has a double-figure lead here in game four. They've had a double-figure lead in each game of the series. Oh, what a beautiful look from Boris Diaw. Timeout. A timeout call by Eric Spolstra. Guys are doing a great job of moving the ball as usual. Now we got a lead again. It doesn't mean be conservative. It means we just don't need home runs. Make them guard. And it wasn't just the ball movement that made the Spurs offense nearly unguardable this series. It wasn't just that Danny Green and Patty Mills and Manu Ginobili were all hitting their perimeter shots. There was one particular emerging force that officially tipped the scales in the Spurs' direction. Mills, not that time. Leonard on the follow! Slam Kawhi Leonard! Wow, he came out of nowhere and hammered it home! Kawhi Leonard, in his third season, was becoming an offensive force matching what was already a Defensive Player of the Year caliber defense. There's an easy-to-find clip from the 2013 Finals of LeBron James turning to the scores table as Leonard was re-entering Game 5 and responding with a noticeable wince. According to Bonner, that was pretty much every player's reaction to seeing Kawhi. I felt like Kawhi had everybody's number defensively, to be honest with you. Like, I remember my first time playing against Kawhi when he was just a skinny rookie it was the lockout year so like everybody just came in in December there was no like off-season team workouts or training camp or anything really it was like all right we're we you got a few days to get ready and then we're going to start playing all these games back to back to backs the whole nine and I remember like normally I see like a skinny rookie come in I'm going to try to beast him and I remember I got the ball, and I, I just like, I'm just going to drive right through Kawhi. And I drove into his chest, and it was like driving into a brick wall. And I remember the first hit, I got knocked back and thinking, like, wait, what? How is that physically possible? And then the second time, I, I'm like, I'm going to do it again. I go, and he already had the ball from me and was going in the other direction. He just ripped me with his giant hands. It was right. So like immediately I'm like, all right, this guy, this is a different type of cat right here. I would not want to have him guarding me. So I'm sure LeBron or anybody else in the league would have that same attitude. Inside Chalmers, Birdman to the rim. Anderson blocked from behind by Leonard. Kawhi, that series offensively grew up because he was able to just go get buckets on offense. You mentioned we, yeah, we did rely on the beautiful game and ball movement, but we had possessions where if that's all we had would have been dead possessions, but Kawhi could get the ball in in a position and just go make something happen and score, go into the basket or he got confidence in his three point shot, especially from the corners or his little pull up jumpers. It, It really clicked for him offensively. And 
yeah, I mean, playing team basketball on offense and point five and the beautiful game and all that's great. But at certain points in the playoffs, the game is slower. It's physical. You need guys that can just go get you a bucket. And Kawhi was that for us, became that for us in that series. Leonard, the drive and finish. In games one and two, Leonard didn't even crack double figures, scoring nine points in each of them. But in game three, he led the Spurs with 29 and somehow was more dominant in game four with 20 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, three steals, and three blocked shots. You know, you made some shots. You played good D. I couldn't be more proud of you. Game five in San Antonio would feel very much like LeBron's first title, but in reverse. The same way the Thunder effectively conceded to Miami by game five in 2012, the Heat had nothing left for the Spurs in this one. LeBron summoned his powers for a 31, 10, and 5 line, but Bosch and Wade could only combine for 24 points, while no other Heat player hit double figures. The Spurs would celebrate their fifth championship in franchise history, beating Miami in five games behind Leonard as the finals MVP. The San Antonio Spurs are the world champions. The Spurs have captured their fifth NBA championship. Thanks for pushing me. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. That's it what it's a crazy feeling. That's what it's about, baby, right? Yes. You earned it. You earned it. Multiple time champions Greg Popovich, Tony Parker, and Tim Duncan discussed how meaningful this title was after the heartbreak of losing to Miami the previous season. As every championship is different, you know, all the other ones were special and the groups were great, but this had to be the sweetest just because of what we endured last year. That's the sweetest championship. It's my favorite one uh, out of my four because of what happened last year and it's been seven years. Um, we're celebrating like it's our first, <laughs> our first win. This one was more special than any others. The journey we've been through over the last two years, everything together because of the time between the championships. I appreciate every game more. I appreciate every accomplishment, knowing that it might be the last time I do it. You put all those things together and it makes this one that much more special for me. Afterward, while the Spurs were rejoicing with their home fans, the Heat players were coming to grips with what felt like an ending. It certainly was a conclusion for Shane Battier. Well, I retired, and I knew I was retiring, you know. Uh, so that was my last game, and I knew I knew probably going into that, into training camp that year, that this was probably my last game. I probably should have retired after I hit six threes in game seven the year before. <laughs> Looking back at it, I probably should have gone off, just walked off. But I said, ah, I'm on one more year. Uh, you know, and, like, I wasn't willing to grind anymore. My kids were getting older. Uh, I get to the gym. I say, I still don't really feel like being here today. You know, I still wanted to play the game. And so, like, when you're not willing to make that grind anymore and make those sacrifices, uh, you're cheating the game. And you can cheat the game, you shouldn't be playing. And that, that, that was sort of, like, not only my my perspective, but I think all of all of us, we, we, we cheated the championship path and protocol. And we still almost won it, which is, which is funny. But... We lose that game five in San Antonio, and there was no one who was mad at, at, at that. We, we all just kind of like <sighs> collectively sighed and said, man, that was an amazing run. And we all, we all sort of felt that it was over. Looking back, the entire four-year run felt like a constant test of the heat culture that members of the organization constantly speak about. 
The team that embraces conflict and ignores outside opinions and plays harder and smarter defensively just couldn't maintain that necessary edge for any longer. The never-ending pressure finally drained a team that was spectacularly defiant for four seasons. Here's the dean of heat culture, Udonis Haslam. Yeah, no, it was a lot on us mentally, physically, and emotionally for those, you know, those years. Playing the most basketball, playing the longest seasons, you know, um, I think we just didn't know how to handle it, you know, as a unit. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, people just think it's just coming together, playing basketball, winning games. And now that's part of it. We didn't handle the mental part of it very well. You know what I'm saying? The the, the times that, you know, we should have took a mental break and, and got our minds off it and just, you know, refreshed and, for, and refilled. You know what I'm saying? And I think... Towards the end, we just start all pouring from an empty cup. You know what I mean? And you can't do that. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back 100 years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. 
Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As Haslam stated, the heat at this point, after four long seasons, didn't appear to have the necessary fight to match the Spurs in the 2014 finals. So what did that mean for the future of this team and this core? From the start, the Heat's big three bonded to create a shield against the outside noise. According to Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press, those three emerged successful from so many heated battles, it was difficult to imagine summoning that same energy again. Dwayne seemed tired, LeBron seemed tired. I think they were all just tired. There were no breaks. It was four years, four finals, media tours, all the responsibilities, all the obligations, all the stuff they got themselves into, you know, commercially, as far as endorsements and all that. Like, there was never a break. And I think a lot of it was just fatigue. I think the message had rung how, look, okay, we came together, we proved everybody wrong, we won it twice, what's left to do? Like, they ran out of villains. Like, it was originally the media and the noise, and then it was losing to Dallas, and then, you know, how are we going to get past this? How are we going to get past that? Once they got past everything, they ran out of things to hate. They were also starting to run out of their reliable supporting cast. It wasn't just Battier who played his last game that night in San Antonio. Brian Windhorst of ESPN noted just how much this team was relying on veterans to that point, making the prospect of several more years of deep playoff runs difficult to envision. When the series ended, two players essentially announced their retirement in the locker room. And this has never happened before. Shane Battier said, I'm done. And Ray Allen said, I'm probably done. And then Richard Lewis, who started games in that finals, he ended up having to retire too. So they were basically only playing six or seven guys in that finals. And three of them were playing the last games of their career. What we didn't know at that time was Game 5 in San Antonio would also be the last playoff game of Bosch's career. The following season, in February of 2015, Bosch was diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism, which is when a blood clot gets dislodged from another part of the body and travels to the lungs. He wouldn't play again that season. And in February of 2016, another blood clot was found, this time in Bosch's calf. He was eventually diagnosed with deep vein thrombosis, a condition that would force him to retire from the game. His last NBA appearance ever was a regular season game on February 9th, 2016, also against the Spurs, on the same American Airlines Arena floor where he grabbed an all-timer of an offensive rebound and kicked it out to a backpedaling Ray Allen to adjust the course of NBA history. James catches, puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound, Bosch. Back out to Allen. His three-pointer. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. It was a sudden end to a career that was somehow still blossoming. Bosch was becoming the prototype NBA big man, having just reached 30 years old in 2014. Instead of seeing what he could truly become, we could only look back to that four-year run of finals to truly assess his value. Here's Haslam. Chris Bosch was the key to that shit, bro. A lot of people don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? Like, as great as Dwayne was, it is, as great as LeBron is, and none of it works without Chris. None of it works without Chris. You know, he was probably the guy that sacrificed the most but played the biggest role for us, if, you, if that makes sense. 
I was just thankful for the four years spent, the opportunities, the growth, the evolution, the success, the, the, the tears of joy, the tears of pain. I was just thankful for the entire experience, man. There ain't no hard feelings, no, no, no hate, no, 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 none of that. I was happy, man. And to this day, we still maintain those relationships because nobody felt the way. You know what I'm saying? Everybody understood that we had a great four-year run, man. Everybody benefited from it. Perhaps no single individual benefited more than LeBron James. He'd hit more than a few career benchmarks from 2010 to 14. He'd won his first two titles and finals MVPs. He'd won two more regular season MVPs, matching Wilt Chamberlain's total of four, and only leaving Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar having more. He'd have his two most efficient seasons, sharpening his all-around game with a set of post skills he didn't have upon arrival. Stan Van Gundy coached against LeBron in all three of his stops, but said Miami brought out the best defensive version of James. LeBron twice finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting, once in 2009 with Cleveland, losing the award to Orlando's Dwight Howard, and once with the Heat in 2013, losing to Memphis's Mark Gasol. Here's Stan Van Gundy on James's defensive development. The thing I will say in Miami is LeBron was always, I thought, a, a good defender. And certainly under Mike Brown in Cleveland, he was good. But then he got, he got there. And like you said, he didn't have the huge, huge offensive role. Or he did, but not outsized where he had to do everything. And... You know, he got with other good defenders in a good system, and he was he was overwhelming defensively. I mean, I, I thought there were – if it weren't for Dwight uh, at that time, I mean, he had – you know, he had years where he could have been defensive player of the year uh, material. That That's the biggest thing I saw from him in Miami was his defensive dominance. And we'd already seen it in Cleveland a little bit, but – he carried a bigger offensive load there, so was probably not able to devote as much to it. James had all the tools by 2014, and a decent amount of hardware, too. It's why the loss to the Spurs could have been a bit mystifying for him. How could this Heat team lose in five games so easily when he remains the most destructive player on the planet? Did the Heat plan properly enough to maintain championship-level play as he and Bosch enter their 30s? Or did the Spurs just bring James to the realization that it was time to reassess it all? Jackie McMullen believed the Spurs forced James to look beyond Miami sooner than expected, as the league got a glimpse of the future. There's no doubt in my mind that that series made him realize, yep, we can't beat, nope, we're done. I believe that with all my heart. and. I go back and look on that series. The San Antonio Spurs in game three played one of the most perfect games of basketball I've ever seen in my life. It was the preview for the rest of the league. The, the NBA is a copycat league, always has been. And Bob Myers was going to be the GM of the Warriors. All the people watching that, everybody said, all right, this is what we got to do. And maybe LeBron was thinking about winning and filling those voids on his championship mantle at this point. Or maybe he was thinking about what it felt like the previous time he'd lost in the finals, in 2011, when he found comfort in home. There had been signs, if you chose to see them as such, during LeBron's time in Miami that he signaled he might leave sooner than expected. Windhorse saw them and knew a return to Cleveland would be in LeBron's future. He just wasn't sure exactly when. 
I knew he was seriously considering it, but I was just so careful, Izzy, not to say it because I just, I didn't have the greatest feel. When he, when he opted out of his contract, like 10 days before he had to, and then when he took meetings, he actually wasn't at the meetings, but when his agent took the meetings, I knew that he was seriously considering it. And I only thought he'd go to Cleveland. I mean, I had, I knew he was going to go back to Cleveland in the winter of 2012, his second year in Miami. I didn't know when it would be. And I really did think that he might try to give the Heat one more year because Bosch and Wade were still in their primes. Um, there were still some P- things that the Heat could have done in free agency to turn over the team, and they had kind of done that. They had drafted. They'd moved up in the draft to draft another guard. They'd signed a couple of free agents. I thought he might give the Heat one more year, but I did think he'd go back to Cleveland. Uh, I just didn't want to be the guy who said that he was going to go back and then he didn't go back the next year. The Heat had secured free agents Josh McRoberts and former Pacers rival Danny Granger. They even drafted Shabazz Napier out of UConn, someone LeBron had mentioned was his favorite player in the draft. But James's desire to chase championships didn't dwindle after two rings. It only grew stronger. Here's Battier. Again, LeBron has had more expectations around his career than anyone in the history of maybe sports. And he's delivered. And then some. Okay. And so his his scorecard is different. The way he's judged, the way he judges himself, it's different. And and I think in his heart, he, he knew the only way to get to Jordan, the conversation with Jordan, was to go back to Cleveland and win one there. Because, you know, winning, winning one in, in Cleveland is worth two in Chicago. <laughs> just because of their history. And it was. And so I, I think LeBron was playing a bigger game. Um, yeah, I think he always felt that he wanted to give one to uh, to the Cavs. So, like, I, I never thought that he was going to go to, like, L.A. for Miami or, or, or somewhere else. I, I think I thought that, like, if he left, he would he would go back to Cleveland. It's not something, like, he'd talk about. Or we, we didn't talk about it in the locker room or anything like that. It was just a feeling that, like, yeah, okay. That, that, that makes sense. And like, I wasn't, I, I didn't begrudge him and I, I totally understood. LeBron became a free agent in late June of 2014 when he exercised an early termination option in his contract. He held free agent meetings with teams in Las Vegas in early July, including one with Heat team president, Pat Riley. Some believe LeBron had his decision made by the time he met with the Heat brass. But in the same way James was believed to be hesitant up until the moment he said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach, Tim Reynolds believes James wanted to be certain he was making the correct choice. He went through all that in Vegas to say, am I doing the right thing? I think he was just being a savvy investor doing his homework at that point. I don't think it was a charade. I don't think he was wasting anybody's time. I don't think it was mean-spirited. I don't think it was hollow. I think his mind was pretty much made up, but he wanted to make sure that he was absolutely doing the right thing. So on July 11th, 2014, LeBron made it official with a story told to Lee Jenkins of Sports Illustrated. He was heading back to his home base of Northeast Ohio to sign with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He'd take what he learned in Miami and try to transfer those championship habits to the Cavs. And in doing so, he ended one of the most entertaining and league-shifting four-year stretches the NBA has ever seen. Here's Windhorst. What a wonderful time in the history of the NBA. The Miami Heat, that run, was such an influential and pivotal and historical time. 
they had a lot of amazing things happen, not only on the basketball court, but just culturally. You know, the Harlem Shake video. You know, the incredible Game 6, Ray Allen shot. It's a historic NBA moment. The amazing Game 7 where, you know, Duncan and LeBron are going back and forth at each other. I mean, what else can you ask for? You know, the back and forth with the Celtics, the back and forth with the Bulls. So many big games in Miami, those big playoff nights with the entire arena dressed in white and Seven Nation Army, uh, you know, rocking on the sound system. I mean, these are, you know, memories that will forever last for people who are involved with it. I mean, it was four years. It felt like more. It ended abruptly and unfortunately, but I don't think anybody truly associated with it, whether it was people within the Heat organization or the fans or LeBron himself, I don't think they would have changed anything. I think they're glad everything happened. You know, the Heat had some bad breaks a little bit after that that, you know, had nothing to do with LeBron. And then he obviously left them in a tough state. They had to rebuild a little bit. But I don't think they regretted that. I think everything that they did to get that four-year run was worth it. And those banners are up there. Those banners are up there. And those four finals runs are there. And so it was a real piece of NBA history, those four years. It probably was the right length of time. You know, it was just long enough where people didn't quite get sick of it and they were entertained by it. And everybody was kind of able to still have other acts in their careers after that. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know. Think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests we are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. 
join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What LeBron James did in announcing his return to Cleveland following four years and two titles in Miami was close the loop on what would end up a heartwarming tale. His return meant more than any apology. It was the giant hug those two sides really needed to experience after the hurt caused by the decision. But for the Heat and their fans, it was an entirely different feeling. There was a sudden longing because they knew those four years couldn't be recreated anytime soon, not without LeBron. And then you were forced to make the immediate assessment. Did the Heat get everything out of their time with LeBron? And what would have happened if he stayed for a bit longer? You know, we went to four straight finals in four years, and, uh, you know, we're not discrediting what we was able to accomplish in these four years. We lost one, we won two, and we lost another one. You know, if take 50%, you know, in four years, you know, in championships any day. Obviously, you want to win all of them. But that's just the nature of the game. You win some, you lose some. You know, you just got to come back the next year and, you know, and be better as an individual, as a team, you know, and go from there. But, you know, I know me and D-Wade and, and CB, you know, not not proud of the way we played. Uh, you know, and all three of us, you know, that's the last thing we're thinking about is, what was going on this summer. Rachel Nichols was there for the Heat finale in 2014 and did sense there was a bit left on the table for that team. It felt a little bit like a lost opportunity uh, when he left. I mean, they had done so much. They had won two titles, so you can't say, oh, gee, you know, they went on this big grand adventure and it didn't get anything out of it. You would never say that. But it did feel like there could be more. And as someone who loves watching sports, partly to get to watch people reach their full potential uh, for that team, it felt like there could have been more and it would have been fun to see that. And that if the air conditioning in the building during one of those finals games uh, hadn't failed, that possibly that series could have gone differently. Uh, It definitely felt like that at the time. And so standing in the locker room uh, after they lost that final game, it is the quietest post-game locker room I have been in, and I have been in all kinds of losing locker rooms. But that was so pin-drop quiet, I think in part because everyone felt, oh, this could just not be the end of this final series of this season. This could be the end. And I think it was already hanging in the air. But remember when Udonis Haslam said everybody benefited from James's tenure in Miami? Well, that includes the Heat organization. LeBron didn't just learn how to win in Miami. He showed everyone just how prepared the Heat organization was to build winners. It was a symbiotic relationship that would be confirmed six years later when LeBron and the Lakers faced off with Eric Spolster and the Miami Heat 
in the NBA Finals. Here's Rachel Nichols. It's interesting. He would later go on to say that he felt like going to Miami was his four years of college, right? That he never got that experience, that that's where he learned to be a grown up. That's where he learned to be a professional in that way. And I don't think that was necessarily a knock on the Cleveland organization as it had been. I think it was more about what the Miami Heat actually offered. I think that heat culture expression is not just something that people in Miami say to make themselves feel better. It is real. It is a level of professionalism in that organization that just doesn't exist in other places and throughout sports. And I think he felt like that so significantly changed him as a player, as a person. It was his first time significantly away from home uh, that he then felt launched to go back out into the world and do other things. Now, I don't know in the moment how people in Miami felt about that comparison because it does feel a little bit like, oh, you came here for college? Great. Thanks a lot. We actually thought this was a long-term marriage. But the fact that he was, I think maybe it came out sounding a little flip to some people in Florida, but I do think the expression of what he was trying to say uh, had so much respect layered in it. And I think that without that Miami experience, LeBron James would be a completely different player, a completely different human and I think to say that it is one of the most important parts of a very long and interesting and varied story is not an understatement at all. The Miami Heat are part of LeBron James, and LeBron James is always going to be part of the Miami Heat. Of course, James will forever be linked with the Heat. His image is in so many parts of the team's arena. There's a banner marking his 2012 Olympic gold medal in the rafters, right along with the championship banners he helped raise. And his number six will likely get retired in Miami once he officially hangs it up. What he accomplished in Miami remains the most successful four-year stretch of his career, and the closest thing to a sports dynasty South Florida has seen since the Miami Dolphins in the early 1970s. And yet, it'll forever be thought of with some question marks. Dan Lebetard of Metal Arc Media believes those Heat teams did just enough to satiate a rabid fan base, but also left just enough on the table to wonder if there should have been more. It puts even further perspective on how monumental that Bosch offensive rebound and Ray Allen three-pointer in Game 6 really were. Here's Lebetard. That team would have been a historic underachiever if not for that shot. One title would not have been enough for everything that was the coverage, the noise around that basketball team. As it was, Izzy, I feel like two, two championships is sort of a push. I feel like it's a tie on people who hated the Heat versus people who loved the Heat. Everyone walks away with the unsatisfied feeling of, that wasn't an overachievement. It wasn't an underachievement. It was just sort of like, Eh, two out of four, that's pretty good, but probably could have and should have been more. Probably if I had asked Chris Bosh and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade when they were dancing on that stage in arena and a party before it all started, hey, if you guys win two here, how's that going to feel? My guess is they would have said not enough. My guess is that they would have said, we got to win more than that. It's not going to just be two, is it? Later on, Golden State and some other teams would come and do things that were similar, but they started it. The play of San Antonio in that series at the end was such a vengeant storm of pent-up 
hostility and anger because they thought they should have won the last time they played that that's the best basketball team I, I, I've ever seen. That's the best basketball play I've ever seen. The team that engulfed them at the end, the Heat team that was tired. And I, I don't really understand this part, Izzy. I don't, I don't understand why the, the winning of championships is so hard that teams like Golden State at the end break apart because it's just too emotionally, mentally, physically draining to play in that pressure cooker for that long One of the notes James seemed to take with him was the need for superstar-level teammates in a league that was now trying to recreate the Heat model. LeBron created another buzzworthy trio once he got to Cleveland, with former number one pick Kyrie Irving already on board and all-star Kevin Love getting traded from Minnesota. Here's Jackie McMullen. I really believe that that win by the Spurs changed the course of NBA history. Because LeBron was moving on. And what better place to go than the place he spurned in the first place? Let's make it all right. Let's keep that white hat on nice and tight and go back to Cleveland and save the day with the young Kyrie Irving, who at that point we thought his future was limitless. And Kevin Love, who was in the prime of his career and was the prototypical stretch four. I mean, that was the way the league was going. While Miami would be left reeling as a sports town, Pat Riley would attempt to make the recovery from LeBron's exit not nearly as painful. He'd sign Luol Deng, an all-star with the Bulls, to replace James. And he'd keep Wade and Bosch on board, which was no easy feat given the sudden question marks around the team. And for a city that embraced LeBron while the rest of the country was throwing jabs, and a lot more, in his direction, there must have been a hint of pride escaping Miami as the rest of the country also realized, hey, this LeBron James wasn't a bad guy after all. Here's Rachel Nichols. It was disappointing for the city of Miami and for the heat and for the potential that what might have been. On the other hand, I was there in Cleveland when he was introduced back in Cleveland and did a big event for his charity, which, you know, as we know, turned into his school. It's an incredible, incredible organization. And the feeling and love of him back full circle in Cleveland. And I remember people, uh, they handed out little lights to people and swinging their little lights. And it felt very much like, okay, I understand why he felt like part of his story had to come back here and why there was unfinished business. So for me in that moment, as someone who was covering him extremely closely and covering the Miami Heat extremely closely, Uh, It felt like one of those both things can be true moments. It felt like, gosh, I love the alternate sliding doors universe where he stayed in Miami and would have seen what would have happened. Um, I also got this universe where he went back to Cleveland and we would later see win a title there. It was a pretty great basketball story also. That story arc peaked with a Cleveland championship in 2016 and LeBron telling the people of that city, it was for them. I don't know why the man above gives me the hardest role, but it's nothing a man above. Don't put you in situations that you can't handle. And I just kept that same positive attitude. Like, instead of saying, why me? They're saying, this is what he want me to do. And uh, Cleveland, this is for you. And for Miami, all that remained was time to look back at that Heat team's legacy which Wade did after the 2014 finals. Well, it's, uh, man, we didn't know what to expect, you know, when we decided to uh, 
become teammates years ago. You know, we just knew that uh, we felt as individuals um, that we could do it, that we can put our egos to the side and, um, and not care about the individual part of the game and become a great team and become two leaders of, of that team. Um, it's been a hell of a ride in these four years, you know. And, um, you know, we, when, we team, when we decided to play together, we didn't say, okay, let's try for four years. You know, we said, let's just play together and let's see what happens. And uh, we've been successful in the sense of what we, what we tried to accomplish. And that's going to the finals. And we did it. Uh, we would love to be four for four. It's just not, it wasn't in the cards for us to be that. But, um, you know, we have no other reason not to be proud of each other. Uh, for what we've accomplished on and off the court uh, for these four years together. Tim Reynolds says, despite all the attention on Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh, that the concept of team around those Miami Heat squads was always the primary focus. What you saw was four years of a lot of selflessness. And it's so funny that LeBron gets accused of being selfish all the time. Like, LeBron could have had 50,000 points by now. LeBron could have had a scoring record long ago if he wanted it. He's an incredibly selfless player, and he got other people to sign on. Dwayne turned over his franchise to someone. That would never happen today. Chris went from a one to a three in an instant and did so happily to be part of something bigger. They were part of something bigger than themselves for four years, and that's why that and overcoming all the hate, all the noise, all the challenge, how 29 other teams were lined up to beat you every single night, They embraced it, and I don't think you'll see something like that again. There have been other superstar cores since that have failed to win titles in part because of ego clashes. But just the fact that teams were able to follow the path of this Heat team and attempt to recreate the run for themselves speaks to the legacy left by Miami. Here's Rachel Nichols. People certainly point to that moment as the moment that players took control of their own destiny. Now you can sit, go back and nitpick and argue, well, hey, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wanted to lead Milwaukee. He asked out of Milwaukee behind the scenes, but he did it behind the scenes. Nobody knew that at the time. This was a very public case of players controlling their own destiny, doing it through free agency, not just waiting for someone else to trade them. And I think it completely changed the mindset in both the public's eye and most importantly, in their fellow players' eyes of, hey, this is what we can do. And I think that even for the teams later on that weren't put together that way, I think it made players feel like they had more power in the game. And there are some ways that has turned in to be a problem for the NBA, and there's some ways that's turned in to be incredible for the NBA. And I think that is a legacy of that team, for sure. While some would argue player empowerment and star player movement is a bad thing for the NBA and its fans, you could also argue what LeBron did was merely a continuation of what the late former commissioner David Stern did for the league by highlighting the individuals over the teams. LeBron effectively said to basketball fans, you can be a fan of me, even if you don't love the jersey I'm wearing. Shane Battier didn't love the thought of LeBron joining the Heat initially. But his thoughts changed with the times, especially after three years playing beside James. And like, look, this is not this is not your father's, you know, sports leagues. And I grew up the same way in Detroit, cheering for the Tigers and Lions and Pistons. And, you know, you saw these guys drafted and they stayed their entire career. And it's just, it's just a different era and no better, no worse than, than what we grew up with. Uh, but, you know, it was it is amazing to see 
the joy LeBron has brought to, to the world in the game of basketball. And like, he was an unbelievable teammate and one of my favorite teammates of all time. And uh, he could have been really messed up with, with all the attention that he got and expectations. He's actually a, a really good human being and a great teammate and a champion and a winner. And so to be part of that journey uh, for, for three years, that's, you know, it's something I'll never forget and super, something I'm super proud of and still proud to be friends with all those guys and, and consider them uh, some of my favorite teammates of all time. But were they one of the greatest teams of all time? They never ended up setting the record for wins in a season. They came up seven games short of winning the most consecutively. They even stopped their championship count after not two. But just having James, Wade, and Bosch on one roster is enough to lump that team into the conversation. Mario Chalmers is, surprisingly, objective on this subject. My biggest thing about these questions, it depends the era. If I say, if you take it back to 80s, 90s areas, I don't think we're one of the top teams just because we don't have that physical presence, like the Hakeems, the David Robinsons, the Shaqs, and all that. But if you come to our era, the 2000s and all that, where we shoot the most threes was movement, everybody's playing a high pick and roll, everybody can shoot, then I think we'll be in the top three, I think, up there with the Bulls and the Lakers and teams like that. The epilogue of this four-year heat run is actually still being written. LeBron James hasn't retired as of June 2023, 10 years after his second title in Miami. And with single titles with the Cavaliers and Lakers, we still don't know if he'll finish with more Heat championships than with any other franchise. And the lasting effect for the Heat seems to be continuing, as Miami has taken two more trips to the finals since then, most recently getting there as an eight seed in 2023 before losing in five games to the Denver Nuggets. And they did it around a player in Jimmy Butler that Wade helped convince to come to Miami. You could even say the Miami Heat have established themselves as the premier organization in the NBA over the last 20 years, since the year LeBron was drafted first, Bosch fourth, and Wade fifth. With the first pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select LeBron James. With the fourth pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Toronto Raptors select Chris Bosch from Georgia Tech University. With the fifth pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Miami Heat select Dwayne Wade from Marquette University. The Heat have made nine conference finals since then, been to seven NBA finals, won three championships, have the reputation of being a winning franchise, are among the most attractive free agent destinations and have a coach that's widely considered the best in the league. So it was a game seven. They stand eye to eye with history and they did not blink. The Heat are going to the NBA Finals. That's a proud moment for our franchise. It gives me great pleasure to present the 2023 Eastern Conference Championship trophy to your Miami Heat. I remember covering the Heat's first championship for the Miami Herald in 2006 and thinking how big of a deal it was that the franchise that frustrated me and my friends so badly growing up because they couldn't get past the Knicks or couldn't matter as much as the Bulls had finally broken through. And then 2010 came. 
Those next four years made the Heat into a national brand and made winning titles in Miami realistic expectations for the next decade. It's by far the longest stretch of real success for a South Florida professional team in 50 years. And it started with one very important decision. The Miami Heat from 2010 to 2014 changed the organization, changed the NBA, and changed the city of Miami forever even though it lasted only four years. Even though they'd end up not being the most decorated team of that decade. Still, Miami wouldn't trade those four years for anything. Just ask DJ Khaled. I wasn't upset at all. All we do is win. You gotta remember, we won. We're winners. We have banners. Like you, you, There's nothing no one can ever say to us ever in life. Listen. <laughs> Just know we the biggest in the game. I told you, we from Miami, we different. We don't see nobody. Like, we don't. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you could do. We the biggest. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.